You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called The Fearless Tour. God has always used women to advance his purposes in every generation. Women who were fearless to demonstrate compassion and concern living their own blind side story. Today, we will learn how to live a fearless life. Our scripture text comes from Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Today's message is entitled, The Blind Side. In our Bible story this morning, we're continuing on our fearless tour. We've been on this journey learning what it is to be a fearless Christian, learning to live the kind of life of compassion and commitment and dedication to the purposes of God. And this woman, this woman that we saw, Leanna Tui, she demonstrated that she lived a true, fearless Christian life. But right here in our own church, we have women who have lived, they have lived a fearless life for God. This morning, we're so grateful for all the moms that are here today. And honestly, I am here today as a direct result of my mom. My mom believed in me, she loved me, and she taught me all kinds of things. I wrote down just a couple of things that I wanted to share with you that my mom taught me. Maybe your mom taught you a few things too, but my mom taught me a little bit about foresight. She would always say something like this, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mom taught me about logic. She said, if you fall out of the tree and break your neck, don't come crying to me. Maybe your mom said something like that to you sometime. My mom taught me about maturity. Eat your vegetables or you'll never grow up. My mom also taught me about religion. She said, you'd better pray that that stain comes out of that carpet. My mom taught me about time travel. She said, if you don't straighten up, boy, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mom taught me about perseverance. You're going to sit here until you eat every bite of that broccoli. My mom also taught me about genetics. She said, you know what? You are just like your Oh, you guys are smart. What a great group of people this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Our theme verse for this series has been 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Our story this morning and the woman who lived the fearless life that we're going to look at is a woman by the name of Deborah. But I want us all to read this verse together, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Let's read this verse out loud together. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's try that one more time. Let's say all that in agreement this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The woman that we're going to look at in just a moment. Her name is Deborah. Deborah's name, it's a Hebrew name, and in the Hebrew, her name literally means honeybee. I mean, think about that. I'd like to have a name. Hey, honeybee, how you doing? Hey, sugar pea, how you doing, bumblebee? I mean, you know, honeybee, huh? What a kind of an interesting name, but that's literally what her name means. And, and Bible names are significant to us because somehow, in some way, in the Bible, people had names that so often reflected their character and who they were. Over and over and over, 
You see that in the Bible. You see people who had names. Names like Jesus was the name. God is our salvation. Joshua was the Old Testament counterpart. God is our deliverer. God is our salvation. This concept of people having names that signified their character really fit with Deborah because Deborah was a woman who brought sweetness into her world. Now, her world really wasn't much different than our world. In Judges chapter 4, you will see this phrase in the very first verse, and it's actually found all throughout the book of Judges because Israel lived, the people of Israel, the Jewish people in this time, they had drifted away from God. And the Bible says in verse number 1, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. They had done evil. In other words, they lived by their own whims, they lived by their own dictates, they lived by their own feelings, they lived by their own emotions, they lived by what they felt like was right. And they had a tendency to adopt the religious practices of the nations that were around them. Now, they had a really clear command from God. God spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, listen, I want you to go tell the people. I got some guidelines for them for the abundant life. Uh, these, these people that I brought out of Egypt, out of 400 years of slavery, they're my special people. I made a promise to their father Abraham, and if they do what I'm asking them to do, they're going to live a blessed life. They're going to live a great life. It ain't always going to be easy for them, but I will be their God. I will never leave them. Deuteronomy chapter 31, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll fight your battles. I mean, over and over and over, God told them what he was going to do for them. And we find ourselves here now, a hundred years or so, removed from the time of Moses. And, and the people have already drifted from God. They're living life their own way. But there was a woman of faith. There was a fearless woman who really lived the blindside life. She just lived it 3,000 years before us today. But this woman, this woman really demonstrated what it was to have unswerving faith in God and a hope and a preferred future and a love for God and for His people. She really demonstrated that. She was an example of that. As we look through the life of Deborah, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at verse number 4. And the first thing that I want you to see about Deborah is that she was not afraid to accept responsibility even when others wouldn't. She was not afraid to accept responsibility. In other words, Deborah was marked by God. Deborah had a purpose for her life. And although no one else was willing to do it in her day, as a matter of fact, most of the people were living far from God. There was one woman who was willing to stand up and do what was right. She was willing to accept the challenge to be the woman that God had created her to be. Woman in this room. There's women in this room. Listen, there's something about your life. There's a mission and an assignment from God. First, it's to your family. It's to your husband. and It's to your children. Some of the women in this room are single moms. And your responsibility, your primary response is to nurture and to demonstrate the love of Christ to them, to live a life before them. This woman was willing to accept this call. Now, what's really fascinating about this woman to me is that not only was she a wife, not only was she a mother, but she was also called by God a prophet. In other words, she spoke forth the things that God told her to speak. She actually spoke predictive, but she also spoke Fourth, God's word. She told her generation the way that they were to live. Look at verse number four with me. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of this man, was leading Israel at the time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have 
their disputes decided. This woman was not only a mother, she was not only a wife, she was a prophet, and she was a judge. You see, there was something about her life that other people recognized. And when you, as a woman of God, accept the call, when you accept the responsibility to live a life for God, there'll be a sweetness. There'll be a sweetness to your life. Other people will recognize it. Other people will know it. People were coming to Deborah for her to solve their problems. The second thing that I want you to see about this woman is that she believed in other people even when they didn't believe in themselves. This story is basically a story where Israel has got an army that's come up against them. And there's a king. He's a powerful king. He's got 900 chariots at his command. Now, chariots in this time and this time of warfare were like the most powerful instruments that a nation could have. It would be like a nation have 900 F-16s loaded with you know, heat-seeking missiles that could search and destroy. I mean, this was a powerful army. Uh, the the reality was is that they were going to destroy the people of Israel. They were going to destroy. And they had a leader, and he was a pretty good leader, but he didn't believe in himself. In verse number 9, or verse number 6, I want you to see this. For she sent for Barak, the son of Abinam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. She believed. And this man, this man wasn't even her husband. But she believed in this person. You know what? My wife has been one of the greatest examples of this in my life. My wife has believed in me. From the moment that she met me, she believed in me. I didn't believe in myself. I did terrible in high school. I was a very, very, I was a challenged student in high school. I was such a challenge that they just promoted me on to the next grade because they didn't want me to come back to their school. But my wife, when she met me in college, she absolutely believed in me. She spoke life over me. And because she believed me, I actually got a degree. I got a bachelor's degree from a university. Come on, amen. Uh, no, come on, amen. That's a big deal. She believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. As a matter of fact, I got to the very end of my schooling, and I had one more class to take. And I was had already started a church, and the church was already growing. We were in Seattle, Washington. This is 20-some years ago. And she made me finish school. So she believed in me. She believed in God's call in my life. Deborah, she believed in Barak. He didn't believe in himself, but Deborah believed in this man. Women, you have a call from God to be nurturers. Women have the ability to believe in people. See, man, we just look, you know, and I do believe in people, but women have the ability to speak to a man in a way that can touch their heart and can change their destiny. You see, Barack, he, I don't know why he felt this way, but he felt insignificant. He knew the stories. He knew what God could do, but he didn't believe. One woman who believed in this man changed the reality, not only of his life, but of many other people in her generation. The third thing that I want you to see about this woman is that she was committed to the call, even though it was going to personally cost her. Look at verse number 9. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. I mean, she was willing to do a man's job. And I I thank God in America, there's a lot of women, especially in the church, who stood up and who were willing to do what a man wasn't willing to do. But I want you to, I want to tell the men today, listen, 
It's time for the men to be men. This men's stakeout that we're doing next week is to inspire men to rise up, to live the mission that God has called you to. You see, when men begin to rise up in a church, when men begin to rise up in a family, when men begin to rise up in a nation and take their place and lead, lead the way that God has created us to lead with the roles and taking our responsibility as men to be providers and protectors, it changes a generation. You see, Deborah would have never called herself a feminist. Deborah would have called herself a woman of God who was doing the mission that God had called him to, called her to. She was living the life. There was a need. There was a need to, to, to lead the people. And Deborah filled the gap. She was a mighty woman of God. The last thing that I want you to see this morning is that she had a determination. And her determination enabled others to experience deliverance. Because this woman, because this woman was determined to serve God and her generation and to do the right thing and to accept the call and to believe in this man and commit herself, even though there was a cost. This woman changed the nation. Look at the story here. I want you to see this. The Bible says in verse number 14, Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, go, go. This is the day that the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. She was speaking a prophetic word. She was acting like a prophet. See, she was speaking God's word. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that the the gospel makes all people equal with different roles and responsibilities. You see, women have always been used by God to fulfill His purpose in every generation, from Old Testament times to New Testament times. The cool thing about the generation that we live in and the covenant that we are fulfilling, it's called the New Covenant. The cool thing about that is that the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond, neither slave or free man. There is neither Gentile or Jew. In other words, it's not about race. It's not about your gender. But it's about fulfilling the mission that the Holy Spirit has called you to. And when you step up, God will begin to lead you in extraordinary ways. You see, this woman lived the blindside life. She made a difference to a generation. And look what happens here. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as whatever that, that town is called. And all the troops of Caesarea fell by the sword, and not a man was left. Not a man. Not a woman. I mean, they defeated their enemy. They totally annihilated their enemy. You see, one woman determined to do what God had called her to do, to fill the gap, to live the fearless life, to model, to model what it was to live a life that pleased God, of faith, hope, and love, brought deliverance to a whole generation of people. That's a powerful thing. You know, this morning in our church, right here at City Church, we have some women that have modeled the fearless life. I call it the blindside life. I don't even know what blindside means. I mean, I was trying to figure out why they called this movie Blindside, but I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a reason to it, but we understand that in our culture kind of life of sacrifice and compassion. See, compassion is contagious. Compassion is contagious, but it always costs. We're going to meet some women in our church this morning who've lived a compassionate life. They've done what God's asked them to do. 
This morning, I want to welcome to the City Church stage, Miss Cindy Campbell. Let's give Cindy a great big hand as she comes this morning. Amen. Welcome, Cindy. Why don't you come on over and have a seat here? There you go. Amen. And uh, it's been really, really cool. Um, I can't remember exactly when you came. When did you come to City Church? In 2005. So 2005 you came in. And I heard, you know, I heard a little bit about your story, but not really. I mean, I'd kind of heard some things. I heard that this young man was living with you, but I didn't really know the story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Tell us about, a little bit about your blindside story today. Well, Donald lived with his grandmother in the apartment complex that we lived in, and um, Keith met him at the basketball the court. Keith is? My son. Keith, your son, mm-hmm. met Donald at the basketball court, okay? And was bringing him to the house. So it became a daily thing. Donald's at my house every day and just started eating dinner there every day. Donald started eating dinner at your house. Every day. Okay. Every day. Wow. So yeah. your food bill started to go up, huh? Yeah. All right. Okay. And then um, Donald's grandmother had gotten very ill and she couldn't take care of herself. So she had to move in with his aunt. And his grandmother asked if I would keep Donald so he could graduate high school. He was like 16 at the time. So Donald was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. So he stayed with me. He graduated. He got his diploma, and his grandma passed away, and he's still with me. Wow. So his, you have this kid. All of a sudden, he's, he's living with you. Now, yeah. anything <laughs> happened this time? Did he have any of the parents or anything else happened? I mean, were- um, about five years ago, he had found his dad was in Daytona Beach with some stepbrothers, and he left me for a while, um, didn't tell me, and it hurt me very bad. So he just took off? Mm-hmm. He had let Keith know that he was over there, so I knew he was in Daytona, but didn't know exactly where. And he, by this time, you'd started to really... Yeah, we missed him. We, we were like, wow, where's Donald? You know, like, we missed him. So um, he showed up at my house on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day, man. He knew where the food was at. He huh? knew so where he... the food was at. Uh, and um, he apologized, and he asked me if he could come back home, and I said yes again. So he came back home, and he's still there. Well, let's talk about that yes. Let's talk about the big, I mean, obviously, a grandma asks you. I mean, it's a little unusual. This doesn't happen every day, but no. grandma asks you. What motivated you to say yes? Just the compassion. I mean, I love kids. Just yeah, I didn't even think about it. You just do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how did this affect your family? It, we just grew as a family, you know. They would fight like brothers and sisters, and I would walk away from it and just let them do their thing. And we really grew as a family, you know. He would introduce, like, Richie and Keith as their brothers, and he would say, and this is my mom, and sometimes he calls me Cindy and whatever he wants wow. to call me. So you were motivated by ca- compassion. Yeah. And the reward has been? Oh, just to hear him tell his friends, why don't you come to my house or come to my home and pick me up, just knowing he considers it his home is reward enough wow, so for he me. he calls your home his, his home. His home. Wow, that's pretty cool. Challenges? What kind of challenges have you experienced because of this? I mean, it, I'm not going to say it was financially easy because it wasn't. I mean, you're a single mom. I'm a single mom, and, I mean, there were times I was wondering how we were going to eat but the Lord provided for us all the time. Any surprises? All the time. I mean, any? No. Awesome. No. You were to tell the people out here, there's a need, 
in their and in, in their sphere of influence, what would you tell them? You have to just do it because the Lord has just given you that blessing, and you you can't even think about it. If you think about the ramifications, the financial costs, you're just never going to step out in faith and do it. When the Lord presents you with something like that, just do it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Cindy, uh, we're so proud of you. And you're just a great example of living the fearless life. I think this morning, uh, this young man, Donald, is mm-hmm. actually in the service, isn't he? Why don't, you, right here. why don't you ask Donald to come on up? Donald, come on up. Aww. Hey, buddy. Now, this is pretty cool. Donald Wilson is actually on the City Church staff. He's over our media department, works with the youth on Wednesday nights, uh, leads Saturday night prayer meeting. He's in our staff meeting on Tuesday. Donald, you got something you want to say to Cindy? Uh, yeah, first and foremost, I just want to let you know that I won most of the arguments that me and Keith Richie, and all, I'm just saying, I'm just, <laughs> it's all right, Richie. But um, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, you were somebody that, that when nobody else did, you believed in me. You believed wow. in a life that, that now not only is changed now, but is also impacting other people's lives and other young people's lives and and um, everything that I do, like the man that I am, honestly has been affected by by the mom that you've been to me, that you know nobody else has been. So um, I just want to say thank you and uh, happy Mother's Day. Amen. God bless you, buddy. Amen. Thanks, Donald. Amen. Well, Cindy, I'm going to have you just. Hey, I'll give you a hug and I'll have you just step right over there. Well, our next individual has been uh, is also. Uh, been a member here at City Church for a few years, and she's greatly impacted my life because she works for me. I want to welcome to the City Church platform, Miss Linda Fowler. Can you do that this morning? Let's welcome Linda. Awesome. Hi, Linda. Love you. Have a seat. Now, Linda, other than my wife at this church, Linda knows me better than anyone else because she works with me almost every day. And we have some contact, even if you're not working, we almost have contact every day. Linda, I want to thank you for being a great friend, loyal, committed. You're actually the voice of City Church when people call. If people have any questions about our church, who do they ask? They ask Linda. They don't ask me, ask Linda. you got to ask Linda. Linda, I want to thank you for that. Well, God's done something really cool in your life and your family. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your blindside story? Um, Kenny Cheeseman, who most of you, if you have small children here, will know that he works in our children's department. Uh, in our city kids, and he was living in a little one-bedroom apartment with his brother Stephen and was getting ready to get married, and he called me one night and said, Miss Linda, what do I do? I'm, you know, getting married, and what do I do? And so um, I said, don't worry about it, Kenny, we'll figure it out. So I came and spoke with you, and I uh, talked with another lady in our church who deals with situations like that, and I was trying to gather information to find a fit where Stephen could go temporarily. So you were trying to... Because we have people call, we have different needs come up. Yeah. So we're trying to find some. I was trying to, to help find Stephen. a place for him for Stephen to fit, and I went home and I explained to my husband what I was doing and um, and things, just talking it over with him. And the next day, um, Billy came to me and said, "Tell Stephen he can come home." Wow! So. Wow! So your husband, yeah. he gave you the big yes. Yes. Well, you weren't even expecting. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't asking for it. So, so. You, so you opened up your heart and mm-hmm. you, you brought in Stephen into your home. Tell me. About about that, how that's affected your your family and your kids and your relationship. Well, of course, okay. I still have. I've, we have two children that still live at home, and um, we talked it over with them. And I told Ethan, I said, "You're going to get that little brother you've always wanted." 
and uh, um, and they they were both thrilled. We uh, we live in a small home, and so every little nook and cranny of my of my home is filled with stuff. And uh, but they were thrilled. They said, "Bring them on. Let's go." What's been some of the most challenging, some of the most challenging parts of this? Probably one of them was um, there's been a couple that we've talked about, but one of them was when I asked Kenny. Um, I said, give me a little bit of background on what Stephen's boundaries are because he's, his world is getting ready to be uprooted and I don't want to make a whole lot of changes. And Kenny told me he has a 10 o'clock curfew and I was waiting for the and and the and and nothing else came. And I said, oh, he may not want to come live in our household because as Richie and Keith and them will tell you, I'm all about rules. So um, he's had a lot of rules he's had to, to, um, to adhere to, but he's done it. He's, yeah, he's and, stepped up it's, to it. And it's been rewarding. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you brought somebody in your house, so that, that's also a challenger, right? Because that yeah. makes you, you're probably more aware when someone else is in your house. Right? Very much so, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. a whole different change yeah. of life there. What surprised you? What's, what's been the biggest surprise? It surprised surprise me how quickly he fit right in. He just, he just, he just fit right in. He yeah, just tucked right, right in, in there. Yeah. And Steven's a great kid. He's a great kid. Loves God, yep. involved in the youth yep. group. So that's, I know that he's been a great blessing to mm-hmm. you guys, and you've been as well to him. If there's, if you could tell the people here, you know, one thing, they have a need come in their life, what, what do you think they ought to do? Just follow your heart. Get the information that you need to make an informed decision, but then just follow your heart. Because um, like Cindy mentioned, if you, if you look at the financial aspect of it or the, you know, the fact that your water bill is going to go up and your food bills, if you look at all that stuff, you'll never do it. Yeah. So you just have to follow your heart. You just got to obey the Lord to do because mm-hmm. there's a need. Right. Well, Linda, we're so proud of you. And uh, I think this young man is in the service right now. And so could we, uh, Stephen, why don't you come on up? Why don't you have Stephen come on up? Let's give Stephen a good hand this morning. Come on, Smiley. Yeah, there you go, man. There it is. Well, Stephen, you got something that you'd like to say to Miss Linda? <laughs> Come on, man. Wax it here. All right. This fella, you're just a big blessing to me, and uh, you've been able to fulfill my needs as still a child that's that's still growing up, and just everything you've been able to do for me. It's very... I'm very thankful for it. Come on, amen. Amen. Stephen, why don't you have a seat? Linda, why don't you have a seat over there? Our next hero of faith, our next fearless woman of God, also has an incredible story. It's a great example to all of us. I want to welcome Damaris Scott to the City Church platform. Let's give Damaris a good big hand. Hi, Damaris. Amen. Now, this girl can preach, so I'm going to hand her the microphone, which I don't normally do. No, that's good, Damaris. Well, God's done some pretty cool things in your guys' life, hasn't he? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, and you've been at City Church for how long? Since 2005. Wow, so we got three since 2005. It must have been a wave in 2005, and you guys have been a great blessing. It was really cool. In between services, I heard people say, I never knew that. Mm-hmm. I never heard that. And I've heard so, that too. Yeah, there's something powerful about telling stories. When you hear someone else's story, it gives you the opportunity to tell God's story. 
of his amazing love and his compassion. And Damaris, um, you know, about five years, you, you've been a Christian for... All my life. All your life, so you know the Lord. And uh, tell us a little bit about your blind side story. Tell us what happened in your life. Um, well, basically, Jason and I have been married for almost 11 years in December. And um, in 2002, I was working at a daycare, and I was the two-year-old's teacher for Christopher. And um, then there was transition, and I ended up being the um, four-year-old's teacher for Roxanne. And um, things, um, things were transpiring that we didn't even know about. Um, and then we found out through um, social workers and stuff like that as far as situations with the parents, with abandonment and so neglect. you were teaching at a, pre- at a preschool. Yes. Working with a child care worker. And there was a two-year-old that you saw that had some, some challenges. Some challenges. And then... And then when you got switched to the, the four-year-old class, you met a sister, and you also saw some, some of the challenges the children were going through. Um, well, they were de- developmentally delayed, and they were speech-delayed just because of the fact that um, they were neglected, they were abandoned, um, the parents wouldn't talk to them. So they ended up creating their own little language, like if you were two children coming out of you know the jungle and just creating their own feral language. Um, wow. and so they just they had a language that only the two of them understood. The right? only two of them understood. We had to kind of cope and try to learn how to understand them ourselves. Okay, so tell me what happened. Tell me what the next step was. So you meet these two kids. You see they have great needs. Tell us what happened. Um, we saw they had great needs, and um, I I went to Jason and I said, um, I'm I'm seeing this little girl. She's you know she's not like any other four year old that you know would socialize and fellowship with the other kids and play with the other kids. She was more attached to the teachers or the adults. Would I be able to bring her home? Oh, wait. You ask your husband if you could bring a kid home from the school? Yes, he always... Like, just to stay for a little bit? Like um, for, for no, it was, it was basically for the weekend, you were gonna for ask Saturday for and Sunday. Somebody else's kid. Wow. Now, I would never <laughs> let you take my four-year-old child for the weekend. And that's why Jason said, you're crazy, because no mother would, take, would let the four-year-old uh, go home, but she did. And um, we even gave them our contact number to contact us and, you know, see how she was doing. And she never did call. And then about three weeks later, she called to see if we could take Christopher in. So we just started with Roxanne, and then she called us to take Christopher in. Did you think of all the consequences? I mean, tell me about that. What motivated you to do this? We were told about all the different consequences, but I don't think we were... We, we had just already adjusted to them because they had come every weekend, and um, we, um, we had been with them for two years before we adopted them in 2004. Wow. So we had already adjusted, and they had adjusted to us that there was no blinking when they told us three weeks later, can you take the kids? We're like, yeah, okay, wow. we're taking them. How has it affected your family? Um, it was very challenging at the beginning because... Um, um, how we've talked about cost, it mostly costed us a lot of time um, because of their delays. Um, we had to go to a lot of doctors to get them evaluated so, and everything. Well, it's a lot of cost involved as far as your time and yes. your energy. And uh, talk to us a little bit about the reward. So there's a cost, but talk to us a little bit about the reward of bringing these two kids into your home. The rewards is just seeing how when they came to our home and all, all the problems that they incurred, and now just seeing how, you know, through the eight years that we've had them, how God has molded them and changed them and how God has changed us as mom and dad. Wow. 
um, it's been amazing. So unexpected, unexpected result was God changed your life. That's I mean, right. God brought these children into your life really to be a great example of the fearless life, the life of compassion, which That's compassion right. is contagious. That's right. But there's always a cost, isn't it? Yes. Wow. If you could tell the people here one thing, you know, they have a need in their life, or they see a need around them, what would you tell them to do? I would say the same thing as Linda and Cindy have said. Um, don't even think about it because children are a blessing, whether they're yours or they're not yours. They are a blessing. And um, it is not very easy to do as far as adopt or have a child come to your home. It's not a situation that always happens. So if it does, it's coming from God. So just follow your heart and do it. Don't think about it. Awesome. And uh, I understand that the kids are in the service. Yes, they are. Bring them on up. Roxanne and Christopher. Let's give Roxanne and Christopher a great big hand as they come this morning. How you doing, Christopher? Welcome. Hi, Roxanne. How are you doing, sweetie? Come on over. Wow. How are you guys doing today? You want to say something to your mom? Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Awesome. Come on, guys. Hey, guys. Your mom and your dad, Jason, they love you guys, and we are so proud of you. And uh, Jason, they love you. I mean, Damaris, they love you, and they love Jason too. And we're just, we're going to pray over them right now, over this family. You can see the miracle. This is a, a miracle that only God could do. God put it in the heart of Damaris and Jason to bring these children into their home, and their destinies are ever changed. See, two people who are willing, who are dedicated, committed to the cause, to say yes to a big, you know, it was a big yes. This is a big yes. They brought deliverance. They brought change to future generations. And I want us to, to uh, just, again, stretch your hands out. We're going to pray over all of these. If you guys could stand too, the congregation is going to pray. Could you do that this morning? We're going to pray over them this morning. Father, we thank you today, Lord, that uh, you have put it in each of these women's heart to open it wide and to say yes to you. There was a need, and they said Yes, and Lord, because of that, they've demonstrated the fearless life, a life of faith, a life of hope, and of love, a life of compassion that's contagious. And although there's been great cost, Lord, there's great reward. And the reward, Lord, is knowing that you are pleased. And so we bless them today. We thank you for each of these families that are involved here today. We ask, Jesus, that your grace would go before them in your wonderful and mighty name. Amen. You guys can be seated. The last thing that I want to share with you this morning to close. You know, when you look at the life of Deborah, Deborah was an inspiration for women for thousands of years, literally. She's one of the great heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a list of heroes, and there's a lot of men that are listed, and then it lists women. List women of faith who are willing to stand tenacious. Willing, I mean, it was God that spoke to Damaris. It was God that spoke to Cindy. It was God that spoke to Linda. God could have spoke to their husbands, but see, God created women uniquely. We all have a unique design and bent by God. And God created each of these women with a heart of compassion to reach out, to do something that others weren't willing to do. You know, years ago, I met a man who had been left on the streets as a little orphan. He was a 12-year-old boy his name is Bill Wilson. He became a friend of mine throughout the years. We preached together, done seminars together. But Bill Wilson, when he was 12 years of age, his mom set him on a street corner and said, I'm going to go to the store. I'll be right back. And never came back. Just left him. And 
obviously that's a, quite a challenge to be a 12-year-old boy and left, and there happened to be a couple that were driving on the way to church and saw this little boy. True story. Sunday morning on the way to church, saw a little boy sitting on a street corner. And they asked him, what is he doing? He said, I'm waiting for my mom to come back. And he said, how long have you been here? Well, I've been here for a couple hours. My mom never came back. And that young man moved into that family's home. Bill Wilson today has inspired thousands. He's one of the most tenacious, dedicated, com- committed ministers of the Gospels I've ever met. In, the, in Brooklyn, New York, this weekend, he has over 25,000 children at his church that he ministers to every single week. I know Bill. And he used to always tell me this. He goes, listen, I don't have to wait for a call. I don't have to wait for a call. See, the need necessitates the call. And that's what God's calling this generation of believers to. There's a need in our land. Just one small need. My wife told me on the way in this morning, there are 300,000 children that are in our foster care. There might even be more. That was just the number. It seemed to stick in her mind. There are 300,000. There are 300,000 evangelical churches that say they believe this book, the B-I-B-L-E. 300,000. She said, can you imagine if every Bible-believing church just took in, found a family in their church? We've had three right here, and there are many more. I mean, I started thinking about it. In our church, we've had so many families that have opened their homes and adopted and brought children into their, I mean, guys, there's always a cost. There's always a cost involved. When you live a life of compassion, the Bible says that what Jesus did when he healed the sick, what Jesus did when he cast out devils, when Jesus declared the good news, when he looked out over humanity and he saw people who were broken, he saw people who had no hope, he saw people who were, who were literally held captive by the enemy, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. You don't always have time to analyze the need. You see, need motivates us to do something. The need does. Now, we can't meet all the needs, but we can meet one need this week. The challenge to you this week is that you would open your heart and ask God, God, is there a need in my sphere of influence that I could do this week? It might not be bringing someone to your home. That's a big, big step. But there's a need. There's someone in your workplace. There's a neighbor. There's a friend. There's someone that God will put in your path. I believe this week, God will put it in your path this week to do good. Jesus only did good. He went around doing good. There's a need that God's going to present before you. And God's going to ask you, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to meet that simple need? These are great examples. These are blindside story examples. One of the most, I got this. I don't know how it happened. My mom was a blindside woman. We had so many people come through our house. My mom was the bus lady in my church. 20-some years she attended that church. Every single week she knocked on doors. And she invited children to come to church. She was the bus lady. My, the pastors of her church never knew what to do with her because she was always bringing too many people to church. And the, kind of peop, the kind of people that didn't pay the bills, the kind of kids that got the walls dirty, people didn't quite understand it. And I watched that growing up as a kid. I watched that compassion, just this little lady, Jewish lady that gets saved, and she's motivated by compassion to share God's love with the people. And it changed my life. It changed my life. I'm here today as a result of that. But I remember sitting in a class in Bible college, and I kept thinking, what is this really all about? What's the message of Christ really all about? Is it about religion? Is it about rules? Is it about, no, no. I mean, when you boil it down, you look at the gospel, it was about meeting needs. 
It was about reaching out. Churches get so distracted. They get distracted by sound. They get distracted on style of worship and lights and no lights and all kinds of things. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. It's all about reaching out and meeting the needs of people who can never repay you. You see, when you give to others who can never repay you, your reward will be from God in heaven. You see, James says it like this, who is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. James says it like this, pure religion, undefiled before God and men, spotless before God, is to meet the needs of the widows, the single moms, the women who've had husbands die, the women who've had husbands leave them, to meet the needs of the widows and of the orphans. That's pure religion. You want to have the heart of God? You, don't tell me how loud you can shout and how many gifts drip off your fingertip and all that kind of stuff. What kind of needs are you meeting? How are you demonstrating? Listen, God creates us with gifts to be used and all those things. All of us here, we're all created by God. That's another message. But when we demonstrate the love of God in practical, tangible ways, we are best demonstrating the love of God to our generation. And that's what City Church is all about. You see, we have a very clear vision statement. Bringing God's love to the city, one person at a time. By worshiping Jesus with people from every nation, generation, and culture. By equipping them, by equipping them to become fully devoted followers of Christ and to be released into their ministry. Our vision's clear, bringing God's love to people. That's what this church was founded on. This church was founded on my wife and I going door to door in the city of Altamont Springs. Didn't know one person in this city. Now, didn't know one family. Didn't have any relationships. But we had a passion to see people come to faith in Christ. And to see his church, to see his family demonstrating that love to other people. And so you're sitting here today. There was no building. There was no city church. There was none of that. We had three services today. We'll have six services this week. We touch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. You can't even find a place to park here on Wednesday night. This place, God's moving. We've had literally over 100 people make professions of faith in the last three months here at City Church. We baptize people. God's doing a work here. And I tell you today, God's calling you. In this room, there's someone in this room, God's calling you to take the next step. There's a need that's going to come in your, in your sphere of influence this week. God's going to say, I want you to meet that need. Are you up to the challenge? Because, see, the end result will be this. Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And when you do it for Jesus, folks, when you don't do it for man, if, you, if people, if you think you're doing it for me or for church, you're missing it. When you are serving God and serving other people, if you're doing it for me, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Everything I do, I do for one reason. I do it for Jesus. Whatever, you're teaching a Sunday school class. You're working with the children's ministry. You're, you're an usher. Agree, you're not doing it for me. Oh, you come alongside. We're partnering together communicate this message of hope, but you're doing it for him. And then, and then, when we get to the end, and we stand before our maker, and we all will, we can hear him say these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The most precious words that the master could ever say is, come on in. Come on in. That's what he's going to say. Well done. Come on in and live with me forever. There's eternal life. There's eternal life. We are going to live forever. And what we do in this life will count. What we, li- what we do in this life will count for all eternity. There is a great rewarder. The Bible says that he's a rewarder. God is a rewarder 
of them that diligently seek him. Thanks for listening to this message, The Blind Side, with lead pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.